You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. It's late Wednesday night here, October the 5th. This is our town hall meeting where we could actually discuss the issues that are important to us, to conservatives, not the nonsensical issues that some of our colleagues are just obsessed with uh, focusing on, I guess, the weight standards of a Miss Universe contestant or Trump's latest scandal or the drama between the presidential candidates or the vice presidential candidates on uh, which one was more liberal when they both say a bunch of liberal stuff, both fail to address the enormity of the systemic problems we have in our republic, the religious liberty problems, the judicial tyranny. And that's what I want to discuss with you guys today. What is not being discussed? The most important issue not being discussed this week, the most important news item, Chief Justice Roy Moore Chief Judge of the Alabama Supreme Court, being suspended for declining to implement gay marriage in Alabama when the state of Alabama defines a marriage as, well, a marriage. And the federal constitution doesn't say anything about a marriage. And certainly when it was written and when the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, they certainly didn't have that in mind. In fact, they criminalized such behavior, much less would never have thought of states mandating it. We have a piece out you know, today on this issue, but I want to I delve into it more from a perspective of just how screwed up our system is and how conservatives don't care anymore. The conservative media doesn't care. Nobody cares. Everyone's focused on the nonsense that the media is focused on So the conservative media just focuses on the same stuff. I should really just copy and paste last week's podcast on this, the bankruptcy of the GOP media, of the conservative media, um, how they're they're just led astray and uh, focus on on the same nonsense and and literally create the problems we're we're facing today, why we have these false choices. But before we delve into that, just want to... Let you guys know before I forget some in-house housekeeping stuff. Um, my book is still selling pretty, pretty hotly now, amazon.com. Please go there. Um, you you know, (laughs) many of us have, uh, noted and, you know, some of my colleagues asked me, Hey, why don't you go on this radio show, uh, promote your book on Breitbart or whatever. And I could get a lot more book sales from it. I just, I won't do it. I won't do it. I, I actually practice what I preach. Um, I'm I'm not going to go and patronize the bankrupt conservative media that we talk about. So, you know, I really appreciate you guys going out to purchase the book. Again, it's not about book sales. I I didn't write it to make money. People need to understand the proper role of the judiciary, the severity of the crisis we face, and what to do about it. Heck, no one else wants to talk about it. So certainly not going to go on these outlets to sell my book. So I'd really appreciate it if you haven't yet bought a copy of Stolen Sovereignty. How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. And also, please patronize our sponsors. Before I forget, I know I forgot to make the pitch last time, but 
look, with uh, Hurricane Matthew coming in the southeast, our prayers are with everyone in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina is on watch. But, you know, this is why you need a steady supply of food in your house. We're not talking about doomsday scenario, but, you know, just 140 meals you get from Patriot Supply. We'll have the link up on our show notes. Patriot Supply for 99 bucks. Delicious meals, nutritious. Go out and get yourself a package. It's, it's well worthwhile. Um, also, Patriot Mobile. Do not let your funds, your hard-earned money that you go to patronize your mobile carrier, don't let that go to liberal causes like it goes to with all the other carriers. Give that business to Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com, up to 5% of your proceeds will go to conservative groups such as Conservative Review. So if you like what we're doing and you want to buy a good product, get good service, good customer service where they actually speak English, well, Patriot Mobile is your place. All righty, back to business here. So, I, I mean, before we get into Judge Roy Moore and just the bankruptcy of the conservative media and the conservative movement and how they don't even care about the most important things going on and how that fits into this election, just to push off of this vice presidential debate we had with Tim Kaine and, and Mike Pence, it, it truly astounds me the bar, uh, how, how the bar has been lowered for what it means to be a conservative. Man, Mike Pence really won that debate. Well, I, I guess, you know, Kane is a clown and a terrible human being. And, you know, Mike Pence is certainly more of an honorable person than Trump. So I, by that measure, I guess it was better than the previous debate. But how many things did the guy actually say that was conservative? How many things did he say to address any of the issues we discuss here? How many? Again, he mentioned Obamacare. He litigated the case against Hillary and Obama on a couple issues in a very minor way, very parsimonious way. So I guess that's some progress if that's the bar we're, we're, setting, we're setting here. But my gosh, the guy agreed to the premise on criminal justice reform. The guy agreed to the premise on Social Security. Oh, no, no, we're not doing anything. Oh, no, no. Um, you know, when, when Cain went out there and said, uh, you were part of this risky scheme to privatize it. He should have said, let me tell you something, Tim. You are the risky scheme. The only risky scheme is allowing the government to continue the Ponzi scheme of st stealing people's money. Since when was it a risky scheme to allow people to have their own option of a private account where they can invest in what they want, or at least a government-regulated you know, array of options, and keep that entire account for their descendants as private property in case the, you know they pass away, their spouse passes away, it goes on to their descendants. That's something that I'd love to see the other side run against. Or how about getting rid of the tax on Social Security benefits? Something we've been pushing in our top 10 you know, winning legislation we have here. Nothing. And I just use this as one in the weeds example of what we don't focus on because for years it embodied just this mentality of, of Romney and Dole and Bush and all these guys that, yeah, they, they make arguments, but either they're half-baked or often they're not even conservative. There's like no 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 I'm not I'm not bad I'm, I'm I'm also for taxing the rich no no my tax cuts aren't for the rich no no I'm not for cutting off benefits no uh, I'm I'm for criminal justice reform more than you are <laughs> I mean this is this is who we are 
I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. So I'm not going to sit here and, and say, oh, how great you know, Mike Pence did. That's nonsense. That's not something I could stand for. Of course, refused to talk about religious liberty. Well, because he already gave up on that fight as governor of Indiana. So that's the thing. Like I said last week, we're reduced to one side being 100% immoral, amoral, despotic, socialist. And our side's about 95%. Now, Mike Pence is a good guy, personally. Don't get me wrong. But at least on the policies, you know, 95%, you agree to the premise. Well, man, the 95% did much better than 100% in the debate. Let's go write a bunch of articles on that. Look, we have we have that stuff at Conservative Review. Everyone feels they need to cover it. But, uh, you know, I'm just not getting involved in that. I'm going to f- focus on what other people aren't focusing on. You know, j- if you go to my um, my page, conservativereview.com forward slash authors slash Daniel Horowitz, go to just the last 20 articles I have on the immigration issues, the stolen sovereignty issues, the non-citizens voting, the felons voting, what the courts are doing, preventing states from taking back our sovereignty, judicial amnesty coming up. Everyone asks me, man, what do you do? It's a binary choice. Well, it's Trump or or Hillary. What are you going to do? It's actually not a binary choice because instead of focusing the entire capital, the entire energy, the entire megaphone of the conservative media, the conservative talk radio, on every salacious aspect of this stupid presidential election. There's not much we can do about it. And even if Trump does win, we're really limited in what we can do. What if we focused on the issues? We actually harnessed the outrage. Instead of the outrage being, oh, they're focusing on Miss Universe, and she also had personal issues. So so we're going to get our audience stirred up about that, that I'd rather get our audience stirred up about someone we can support, an issue we can cleanly support. States being forced to adopt gay marriage and transgenderism, and no one cares about it. And Judge Moore stands up for us, and no one's standing behind him. This is why we lose. And and that's not going to change, even if Trump wins. Right, the, the the fight over marriage is, is is gone, and as you can see, our side has given up on that. But again, even if you're like, eh, I'm done with marriage," it's it's not just about marriage. You you got to check out chapter three of Stolen Sovereignty in my book. Um, it, it's the consequences. It's the crushing of the states. The, it's the religious liberty aspects, homosexuality, and LGQF, and all the whatever other alphabet soup of of. Um, sexual deviancies has been codified as a national religion. This is a major problem we have here. And yet nobody nobody's talking about it. So that in itself should be the story of the, of the week. The fact that Rush Limbaugh won't even dedicate 10 minutes to this. Much less an entire show, much less an entire week. I mean, he should have judged more on his show. But no, I guess that doesn't fit in with his uh, his lifestyle, his alternative lifestyle for marriages and, uh, and all that. And look, I don't take any uh, pride or, or certainly no pleasure in, in talking about this. I admired the guy for years. But we got to move beyond this. We got to create our own movement. So with that, I want to delve into what happened in Alabama in more depth and, and just the profundity of how broken our republic is. So what happened with Judge Moore in Alabama? And and by the way, guys, tweet me 
if this is the first time you're hearing this. I'm really curious because it's nowhere in the conservative media that I see. But anyway, a couple months ago, he told the probate judges in the state not to issue marriage licenses to gay relationships. And presumably, um, he said the same thing to threesomes and foursomes and, uh, you know, incestuous relationships to sisters getting married. All sorts of things that just are marriages. And, uh, you know, obviously they wanted to take disciplinary, disciplinary action against him from day one. The SPLC was all over him, liberal organizations. And they got this judicial body. I didn't even know it exists in this state. Uh, a couple members of the Bar Association, some politicians, a couple other judges to get together. And they suspended the Chief Justice of the state Supreme Court, Judge Moore, for not following Anthony Kennedy's royal edict from the Supreme Court to redefine the building block of all civilization for all time. And, you know, I, I, I get a lot of conservatives that aren't really inspired by this. When I say inspired, I mean in a negative way. It doesn't phase them. Well, yeah, the, the, the court said, you know, I disagree with it, but you got to listen to the court. I mean, th- this is nuts. It is nuts that we have the federal judiciary telling states, you must give rights to illegal aliens. You must redefine marriage. You must redefine gender now. Um, you must have 15, 20 days of early voting. You can't force, you can't require voters to show photo ID at the polling place. It's one after another, and the states just take it. Because, again, the, even the red states are just a reflection of the phony Republican Party that controls them, and they're just as bad, if not worse, than the national Republicans in most states, and they don't do anything about it. Our founders never envisioned such a thing. They never imagined that a federal judiciary would be tyrannical, even on legitimate public policy issues, and the states would just fall in line. So here you have one guy that actually stood up. He stood up for us 13 years ago when they said, oh, the Ten Commandments, the replica of the Ten Commandments at the courthouse is unconstitutional. Okay? Our, our tradition, our history, our founding values are unconstitutional. The Constitution is unconstitutional. The preamble of the Declaration, which mentions God as the source of the very fundamental rights that they're seeking to overturn, that must be unconstitutional too. And what Judge Moore taught us 13 years ago in 2003 with the Ten Commandment fight is, at some point, you have to have draw a line in the sand. For 50, 70 years, we've been taking this garbage. We take it, you know, face value, as if it's normal. Um, yeah, you know, the courts are the final say, the final law of the land. And we knew it was wrong, but we said, hey, maybe we could go work the judiciary from our end. Maybe we could appoint better judges and try to get the courts to do our bidding. All the while, unfortunately, agreeing to this dangerous precedent and premise that the courts are the final say. So now the courts have gotten so bad that they overturn the most immutable laws of nature, what a marriage is, what gender is. And frankly, our founders, or even just from one generation ago, they never envisioned a society of beta males where, where the you know, people in the States will just say, oh, 
Redefining uh, a boy has to be allowed in the girl's shower room. Okay. We have to follow. Now let's get the state law enforcement to go enforce it on everyone. And we'll go after the few people that want to protest it. No. They never envisioned that. They never envisioned that tyranny from the elected branch of the federal government, from Congress. You know, I always say from Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 33, he said very clearly that, you know, when when, uh, Congress steps outside of the boundaries of the enumerated powers to crush the states, those acts are, quote, merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Again, that was Congress. The notion that the federal judiciary could just redefine laws of nature and states would just take that and, and, and uh, then punish the few people that are standing for, the, for I, I would say the state definition of marriage, but it's, I mean, um, it's everyone's definition of, of a marriage. I want to share with you a quote I have from Larry Kramer. He was a, f- a former dean of Stanford Law School. 2004, he wrote a book on um, judicial tyranny. Fascinating book, The People Themselves is the title, Popular Constitutionalism and Judicial Review. And he notes the following, and I I just want to share it with you because it speaks exactly to our time. You hear a lot of people saying, man, Daniel, we got got to vote Republican because we got to save the courts. We got to. Now, let's put aside the fact that the courts are kind of like gone gone, 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 50 years beyond the point of no return. But just the entire premise that, oh, we're going to accept it. Uh, but man, we're, we're, we're teetering on the borderline of tyranny, so we better make sure we elect better Republicans so we don't have judicial tyranny. Here's what he said, quote, Neither the founding generation, nor their children, nor their children's children, right on down to our grandparents' generation, were so passive about their role as Republican citizens. They would not have accepted, did not accept, being told that a loyally elite had charge of the Constitution, and they would have been incredulous if told, as we are told today, that the main reason to worry about who becomes president is that the winner will control judicial appointments. Something would have gone terribly wrong, they believed, if an unelected judiciary were being given that kind of importance and deference. Perhaps such a country could still be called democratic, but it would no longer be the kind of democracy Americans had fought and died and struggled to create. Kramer then goes on to ask, what changed to make this deprecated sentiment not just real, not just respectable, but apparently prevalent. And I would say the only line of thought now. And I think the answer is simple. They never envisioned a culture of beta males that would just allow this licentious usurpation to prosper and those who bravely refused to comply with it to be condemned by the polite society. They never envisioned that. And that's the thing. The founders had checks and balances in place, and they thought it would take care of most things, but they understood that if, if it ever got really bad, people would just say no. I, I'd like to know what, what will it take for people to stand up? I mean, let's say the courts say, I'm going to go back to my favorite example. Let's say they say in order to foster diversity, um, to shield this 
protected, the, the, this, this stigmatized minority. And by the way, I, I, that is a term, it's a direct quote from a number of federal judges on transgender cases. Stigmatized minority. So we're going to force uh, you know, one or two individuals from each household to get a sex change operation. So I could just picture the states that, well, 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 I really disagree with the ruling, but let me tell you, it's a law of the land. And then anyone, any, you know, any state judge that refuses to enforce it, what, you suspend them? I, I, I want to take this a step further and explore just how perverted the system is between the federal and state judiciary. You know, I get asked by a lot of people ever since I wrote Still in Sovereignty, you know, what would happen if they would take my advice if Congress would finally stand up, use Article 3, Section 2 to regulate and exempt the, accept the, the jurisdiction of the federal judiciary, take away their ability to adjudicate broadly societal political issues, election law, immigration enforcement, marriage, religious liberty, abortion, you name it. Which, by the way, they don't. They should never have the power over to begin with. Um, you know, j- just to be clear, people ask me about John Marshall. You know, judicial review. He only meant that to be in some cases when the state or federal statutes are manifestly against the plain meaning of the Constitution as it was adopted. And even then, it was only for that case that came before the court. It was never regarded as the sole and final arbiter of precedent for all of society for that particular you know issue of policy that sphere of policy it, it, it makes no sense philosophically then you have a you know the unelected branch sits on, on top of the 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 system of governance the 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 pyramid it doesn't make any sense but anyway i get asked you know what would happen if you took that out of the realm of the federal court system and the answer is it would remain in the state court so you know if someone said, hey, you know, I believe we we have a right to, you know, 10 people who want to have a relationship to to demand a marriage license from a state. Or, you know, I believe that uh, um, you you must service my gay wedding with your private property. Now, look, no court should ever give someone standing, but to the extent that you could file such such, such a claim, a lawsuit, a grievance, it would be in state court. Why am I so into state court? What's the difference? Because state courts are elected. Most in most states, there is some sort of election, at least for the Supreme Court of the state. Um, at least there's a retention ballot, if not direct elections. You know, it, it ranges by state, but most states do have some sort of form of election, some form of accountability. Now, you might ask, well, well, Daniel, well, didn't our founders want them not to be elected? Exactly. They didn't want the federal judiciary to be elected precisely, precisely because they weren't supposed to have any influence, in the words of Hamilton, neither force nor will over public policy issues. That is exactly why they weren't to be elected. They were supposed to adjudicate the application under the laws passed by the legislatures, not over the law and overturn it and certainly redefine the Constitution and certainly redefine fundamental rights and natural law, nature's God, and the preamble of the Declaration. They were never supposed to do that. So, of course, you didn't want them to be elected because you wanted them, you know, why, why didn't the founders vest Congress with the power to apply the laws they wrote? 
because they didn't want the people elected to have to face you know tough cases often you have very harsh applications of a law and you know it it affects a constituency you know i don't know let's say a certain law would affect a war hero a veteran or something you know and it it is what it is so a, a, a judge doesn't stand for election they have to apply it but if you're gonna go and make policy make law so you sure as hell better be elected and that's the point. Once we've gone there, then, yeah, it should go to the state courts. So how does this relate? And oh, by the way, I just want to quote to you a beautiful quote from Mark Levin and Men in Black. I know some of you read it almost a decade ago when it came out. He, he said, judges are appointed for life because they are not politicians. And because they're not politicians, they're not directly accountable to the people and are not subject to elections. But now you, you, you need them to be subject to elections. So this is where Judge Moore comes in. Look at how perverted this is. Judge Moore was elected by the people of Alabama. He was removed from office once before by this unelected ad hoc judicial panel that the state has to, to reprimand judges. And by the way, there's all sorts of cases with judges sending sexting, whatever they call that, with the text messages and all sorts of issues of moral torpitude. <laughs> but uh, they don't get uh, thrown out by that, that judicial body, evidently, according to Judge Moore's lawyer, who's filing an appeal with the very court he sits on, the Supreme Court of the state. But but um, but somehow, you know, if you don't, so if you don't implement Anthony Kennedy's edict, you got a problem here. But anyway, he was elected and you know what? After he was thrown out for the Ten Commandments incident, he was re-elected by the people. So now, this man is suspended by a group of people that aren't elected for not listening to Anthony Kennedy's edict. And Anthony Kennedy was never elected, has life tenure, there's nothing we can do about him. And don't talk to me about impeachment because the political party system has rendered that moot. So think about that. With Judge Moore, there's accountability. He's he's within reach of the people. Anthony Kennedy is not. This man can do whatever the heck he wants. I, I, I want to demonstrate another level of absurdity. Again, something you're not going to hear elsewhere. So it comes out here that Judge Moore, and, and I apologize here if the terms, I think the terms they're elected for, so it's two things in the state. You know, they're elected. First of all, they're elected. And second of all, it's not for life once they're elected. It's for seven-year terms. So I believe his term is going to expire in 2019, about three years. And they suspended him for the rest of his term. So essentially, this is a complete career ender for Judge Moore because, listen to this, Alabama is another law, and a very common sense law. <clears throat> Some other states have this as well. In addition to having elections and tenure, they also have age limitations. You can't get elected as a judge after the age of 70. And, you know, again, I think that's generally good. So this is a career ender. He can't, he can't run again. Think about this for a minute. Anthony Kennedy redefined marriage from the bench. Anthony Kennedy is 80 years old. 80 years old, unelected, life tenure. And he could get Judge Moore, who was elected twice 
and now is capped out by the age of 70, he can get him thrown off the bench. This system is so perverted. It's unbelievable. And by the way, if you were to tell me, and I'm not old, you guys know that, but when I was a kid, if you would have told me that one day the political system would redefine the most immutable laws of nature, I would think, I would, I would have thought the first thing would have been age. I mean, look, you know, with the uh, life expectancy uh, really increasing by the year, what is it, 25% of those born now are expected to live till 100? So 70 isn't old, I and mean, some people are old then, but, you know, for a lot of people, 70 is the new 60. It's the new 50. <laughs> say what you want about Judge Moore, he's pretty darn feisty. Why can't he say, I am trans age, or whatever you call it? I feel like I'm 50. And you might laugh, but it's certainly less absurd for someone to say, I identify as a 50-year-old, even though he's biologically 70. And I'm using the terms. They say, well, there's your biological sex, and there's the way you feel. Well, if, if a guy with a penis could feel like a woman then why can't a guy who's 70 identify as 50 and why can't Judge Moore run again when he's 2019? I'll, I'll leave that for you to figure out, but that's the perverted world we live in. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a little bit more about this, why I feel the judiciary, a lot of this stuff should be devolved to the states. There's a recent study put out by a liberal sexual identity group. Now, they were complaining about it, but I think their analysis is sound. They were lamenting the fact that state courts, while there's certainly problems with them, from our perspective, um, they, they are much less likely to rule with the homosexual agenda. Gee, I wonder why they're elected. Now, it's funny. They were complaining that, you see, this is why judges shouldn't be elected because they're worried about their people. But, um, but again, if you're going to rule on social political issues, then yeah, you, if you're going to be a politician, then you, you, you have to be elected. This is what people don't understand about the federal judiciary, and that's why I wanted to give over. But here we are. The conservative media won't talk about this. No conservative politicians will stand up. I have not seen a single press release from any elected Republican, certainly on a federal level. What is it going to take? Could you imagine the movement we could spawn if all of talk radio would, would hold a rally in Alabama for Judge Moore against, you know, tyranny, against judicial tyranny, for religious liberty, for marriage, for our, our, our heritage. Instead, they focus all on the immorality, defending the immorality, defending stupid liberal statements said by each of these candidates during the debates. I, I, I want to quote close with the following statement from Noah Webster. And uh, I believe this was written in 1823. I'll have the quote for you in the, in the show notes. Um, well, actually, two separate quotes here. Here's the first one. In selecting men for office, let principle be your guide. Regard not the particular sect or denomination of the candidate. Look to his character. When a citizen gives his suffrage to a man of known immorality, he abuses his trust. He sacrifices not only his own interests, but that of his neighbor. He betrays the interest of his country. Here's another quote. This is from 1832 in the history of the United States. When you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, 
Let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers, quote, just, just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of government depends on the faithful discharge of the duty. If the, if the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made, not for the public good so much as for selfish or local purposes. Corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute the laws. The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men. And the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. If a Republican government fails to secure public prosperity and happiness, it must be because the citizens neglect the divine commands and elect bad men to make and administer the laws. The people of Alabama elected a good man and Judge Moore. This is a man we could rally behind. This is a cause we could rally behind without reservation, without violating our conscience, without this binary nonsense of 100% immorality versus 95% immorality. Yet our entire movement, our entire media apparatus on the right has chosen to put all their eggs in this ridiculous presidential basket. And to a large extent... It's because of the judiciary, ironically, which is so dumb because you know none of this is going to change. I mean, whatever you think of Trump, even if you like him, I mean, he has made it very clear as it relates to religious liberty marriage, he's going to let the courts decide, <laughs> let the foxes guard the hen house. And as Larry Clayman, <clears throat> well, I'm sorry, Larry Kramer, that quote I just told you, if we are at that point that that the primary reason for electing a president is that he will control judicial appointments because the, the judicial appointments are even more important than the president himself. Something would have gone terribly wrong. And that, and that something's upon us. We need to look in the mirror. We need to stand up. We need to take our own destiny in our hands. We're just about out of time here. In the coming days, I really want to go delve into some more people, whether they're state judges, judicial candidates, state legislative candidates, governors, congressmen, not really senators because there are no conservatives running, but other people we can support. I have some other people in mind I want to have on this podcast. I appreciate your ideas. Send me your notes. If there's anyone in your state you feel is on this level, on the level of Judge Moore, the level of those that Noah Webster reproached the people to, to, to vote for. But until then, we live in dark times. I wish I could end on a more positive note. But again, as I always say, I'm the Grim Reaper. And in order to conjure up a solution, in order to pray for a solution, in order to seek that guidance from, from God, we have to first recognize the severity of the problems. And we are a real sick nation. Till next time, God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.